Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. Good morning, Christ Community Church. All righty, well, while uh, some folks still running their kids back, a few things. First of all, um, is this, I apologize, I wasn't here Last weekend on Friday, I got sick as a dog, and I was just didn't start feeling good till till Wednesday, really. And so I uh, apologize for kind of being a wall there. The other thing is this: I hope that you are grabbing a bulletin uh, and taking it home with you, because there are prayer requests in there. We've got a lot of people just under the weather, and and we've had some folks lose some family members, so. Just be praying for them. The other thing is you can still find one of these back in the back uh, to fill out if you have any interest in going to Uganda in March or um, Israel at some point. Now, I want to say two things about that. First, Uganda. Um, For the few of you who don't have Facebook, uh, first of all, God bless you. Um, (laughs) Yeah, Um, you want to talk about a time waster. Um, you may not have seen that, uh, you know, Patrick, back in Uganda, proposed to his girlfriend, and she said yes. So, and uh, there it is. So, yeah, really happy for them. And, uh, yep, there's the ring. Patrick saved up a lot of money while he was over here, and so, um, isn't that great? So be praying for them. The, uh, the wedding ceremony will be coming up um, in March, and, and mom and dad hope to go there and also uh, afterwards attending Patrick and Eddie's wedding and seeing what we've done over there, the wells and the baby rescue, all that kind of stuff, and then do a little kind of what he calls a poor man safari. So that'll happen in March. If you have any interest in doing that, let us know, and we'll get you the cost and all that kind of stuff. With Israel... You know, the thing about Israel is a trip to Israel can get canceled like mid-flight because it just can. If rockets start coming down in Tel Aviv, the State Department says, nope, go home. Um, However, if you can get into there, and most of the time because you're just flying in and out of Tel Aviv and so forth, um, if you're in Jerusalem and so forth, you're safe. There's no rockets going on, on there. And even the Palestinians, who are basically always at war with Israel, want Americans to feel safe because we always go over to Bethlehem and spend money. And so, you know, they've got an interest in making sure that we're saying that stuff is coming from Syria, not from Palestine. So they're like, hey, hey, we may hate Israel, but the tourists, keep the tourists coming, you know. And so they like that. Um, but I've been talking to Dad about doing something a little different uh, going back to Israel. Because typically, if you've been there, you know, what you do is you go to a site, and the tour guide reads scripture about that site, and you take some pictures, you get back on the bus, and you take off. I want to do like a lesson there. I want to talk more in depth about what's happening there. Like when we go out onto the Sea of Galilee, uh, which I've been, and many of you have, you go out there, and when you talk about the stilling of the storm, and in the Greek, the simple fact is when Jesus gets up and commands the waters to be still, instantly there are no waves. It's as still as a bottle of water. That's power. 
I want to talk about things like that when we go there next time. So if you have any interest in that, be sure to let us know. All righty. This morning we're talking about baptism. And unfortunately, baptism is one of those things that is often misunderstood. It divides Christians, you know, who should get baptized, how, why, on and on and on and on and on. But, you know, I'm glad that I grew up in a tradition that took baptism very, very seriously. Baptism by immersion. And I'll unpack all of that later. You know, mom and dad grew up in the independent Christian church, which emphasizes baptism by immersion. Um, I went to, did my seminary training at a Church of Christ. You know what that is. It's like the independent Christian church, except they don't have instruments. Um, I used to give them a hard time about that when I went to Abilene Christian University, they say, we don't have instruments because instruments are nowhere in the New Testament. I was like, well, neither are buildings or AV equipment, but that didn't stop you. Um, Yeah, I got bad, nasty looks for that too, but anyway, I couldn't help myself. But they took it so seriously, we had practical training in baptism. We had to practice baptizing people. And because so many people have so many weird superstitions about baptism, all that kind of stuff, you know, you learn how to do it. And I'm glad I, I, I did. Otherwise, it would have been a disaster. I'd probably have been kicked in the face by now or, or whatever. I've almost had that happen with legs swing up, you know, when you take them back. Um, but when you explain people, like, here's one of the little things you need to know. If you bring somebody to faith, we would love it if you baptized them. If your Lord's instrument brings somebody to faith, we'd like you to do it instead of us. And one of the things you need to know is you get the person and you get them down in the water and you have to help them because they can get a little slick. And so you get them down in the water, you turn them around. They sit down, and the second most important thing you do, the first thing is, of course, if you ask them about their faith in Jesus Christ. The second most important thing is this. You whisper in their, whisper in their ear, bend your knees. Otherwise, it's like trying to baptize an ironing board. I've had people fight me. I was like, this is not a wrestling match, dude. Come on. And I love to hear stories about baptisms. If we could play videos, we can't really do that much anymore to a degree because YouTube will shut down our channel. We've still got so many people watching online because of COVID. And one story, well, there are two. One, go to YouTube and look up uh, this. Well, I won't tell you the title yet, but here's what happened. It's a Baptist church, and the Baptist pastor's there. He's got his tie and his nice shirt on, and he's introducing a young man, 12, 13, to be baptized. And as soon as he introduces him, the kid does a cannonball into the baptistry. (laughs) So you can YouTube that. The pastor does not look happy. The congregation thought it was great. Um, Another story, though, I read this week. Uh, My wife grew up in the Baptist church. And if you've ever been to a small Baptist church, you know that often the baptistry sometimes is down front. Sometimes it's, it's located in different places. But it's often just like a foot from a pew. And this one pastor was writing, he said, he had to baptize this guy who was a former aspiring professional wrestler, six foot seven, 400 pounds. Okay. So he gets him into the baptistry, and the former wrestler decides to help him out and really throw himself back into the water. Well, what happened was, it was like a killer whale show at SeaWorld. The water just goes all over the front row, to which the adults were mortified, but one kid stood up and goes, that was great, can we do that again next week? 
Oh, man. Baptisms. I've been baptized twice. One was pretty much ceremonial. I baptized when I was 13. That one didn't take for very long. And then I got baptized in the Jordan in, in Israel. Now, there's a tendency, I want to start off with this. There's a tendency for people to think of baptism as if it's some kind of magic. And that you get in that water and you come up, you know, and, and, and you'll probably see the spirit as a dove flutter down upon you and, and you'll hear, oh, and all this other kind of stuff. And you'll never want to sin again, you know, and you'll go home, get in your bathtub and walk on water and all this kind of stuff. That does not happen. The simple fact is sin floats. And your sinful nature is still there. And there's even more of a tendency, if you go to Israel with us, when we do the baptisms in the Jordan, to think that there's something really special about that. And it's cool, but I guarantee you, if you slip or stub your toe on the way out of the Jordan, what will go through your head and maybe out of your mouth will show you still have a sinful nature. It's just going to happen. So, what is baptism? Why? All this kind of stuff. We'll, we'll do this relatively quickly in the next 30 minutes. Now, many traditions, as you know, do baptisms differently. If you go to a Catholic church, Presbyterian church, many United Methodist church, Lutheran churches, Episcopalian churches, they will often either do sprinkling or they will do pedo baptism. They will baptize children. Now, with the Roman Catholic tradition, that's something else, but with Presbyterians, for example, they believe that baptism, they argued baptism took the place of circumcision. Whereas you were circumcised in the old covenant, now you're baptized, and that's how they view it. So they don't care if you get dunked or sprinkled or whatever, and, they don't, and they're more than happy to do that with the baby. Now, we don't baptize children here. You know, you've got to be, even if you're 11, 12, 13, you've got to be a pretty mature you know, and you've got to understand what's going on, all the other kind of stuff. And we do it by immersion, and we think that's important. And I'll show you why later. But here's the verse that people focus on, right? Acts 2.38. Acts 2.38. This is the big one. This is where people fuss and all their kind of stuff over it. And I'm reading out of the New Living Translation, Josh. Um, Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, a lot of people want to take that verse and say, that's it. There it is. That's the formula. You repent, you be baptized, receive the Holy Spirit. There's a problem with that. The problem with that is, if you keep reading through Acts, you remember when Peter... He goes to visit some Gentiles who have not been baptized, have not been circumcised, have not been any of that stuff, and he starts preaching to them. And in the middle of his sermon, God interrupts him, and they are filled with the Holy Spirit. They ain't been baptized yet. So you need to be careful about making one verse out of context a model. Does that make sense? For everyone to follow got to be careful with that. And you got to keep this in context. Remember when we talked about how to study the Bible? A text without a context is a pretext to a proof text. You got to keep things in context. Who is Peter preaching to in Acts 2? 
Jews or Gentiles or both? Jews. He's speaking to Jews. And what he preaches in Acts 2 is what? It's the most unseeker-sensitive sermon you've ever heard. He starts off by looking at the crowd and says to them, You killed Jesus! You killed your Messiah! The blood is on your hand. And they're like, well, what, 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 what should we do? Repent. Turn from that. Be baptized. Show your faith in Christ now, and then you will receive the Holy Spirit. That's what he's saying. And you need to understand that Jews already understood what baptism was. Now, when Peter and Paul and the boys start going out into the Gentile world, they have to explain it a little bit of what baptism is. But Jews knew what baptism was. They knew it very well. If you go again, if you go to Israel, and AAA is not paying for me to say these things, I'm just saying, if you go to Israel, one of the things you will see is that when you go to the temple, you find pools, pools of water, several of them. In fact, some archaeologists now say there may have been as many as 300 of them at one time. All over the temple. Why were there pools all over the temple? Because the Jews believed that before they would go pray to God or offer sacrifices to God, they needed to cleanse themselves as an outward sign to remind them what they needed to do inwardly. And so they understood that. And so it's appropriate that Peter is at the temple, you know, he's right there in Jerusalem, and, you know, the pools are right there. And he says, so be baptized, show Cleanse yourselves of the stain that is on your hand. What is the stain that's on their hands? They killed Jesus. That's the context for that. And so you've got to keep that in mind. This is not a model. Do I believe people should repent and be baptized? Do I hope they receive the Holy Spirit? Yes, I'm in favor of all three. However, I have met people who have been sprinkled, I have met people who, believe it or not, have allergies to water. And they're good Christian people. Don't turn the water into something out of Harry Potter. Don't do that. But remember this. When we go through this, he does, this is something that is consistent. Whenever the Bible talks about baptism, Jesus says, this himself in the Great Commission in Matthew. Baptize in the name. He says of the Father, Son, and Spirit. It's at least Jesus. Now, there's nothing magical about that either. I've told you this. I'm going to say it again. I want to make sure this gets through to you. Because I've met way too many Christians who think if they just say, Jesus, 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 all the time, something good's going to happen. Because it's the name of Jesus. Well, first of all, his name was not Jesus. That's an English translation of the Hebrew. Jesus's, Megan, you don't get to play this trivia game because you already know it. Jesus' name was what? Joshua. Yahshua. Yahshua. Why was he named Joshua? What was Joshua's task? Lead the people of God into the promise land, defeat the bad guys. What, did, what does Jesus do? Leads us to the promised land, and what does he do? 
He casts out demons and death and so forth. He beats up the bad guys. He's Joshua. Now, Joshua was the commander. And you need to understand this as well. What did Jews mean when they said, in the name of? They did not mean that the name had any significance other than this. It Basically, your name was supposed to kind of show the world, tell the world who you were as a person and what you were all about, what you're all about, what's your mission, what's your goals. That's what your name signified. That's why, what does Jesus do with a lot of the disciples? Changes their name. Happens all the time in the Bible. Nicknames in ancient Israel were more important than the name your parents gave you. So, for example, I've told you this story before. I love this, though. It's one of my favorite in 1 Samuel. Love this passage of Scripture. You remember that King David and his boys, he's got a whole band of warriors, and they're protecting this guy's farm. Now, remember, there's no police force. Army was voluntary. And so it was bandits would often just ride into farms, take the food, take livestock, whatever. It's worse than the wild, wild west. So you either had to hire private security or have somebody like David volunteer to watch your place. And David volunteers to watch this guy's place. Now David is hoping, what? You'll let us stay here and give us something to eat. Feed us while we're on the run. But the guy comes out and he says, who are you? He says, I'm David. Hey, yeah, 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 you work for Saul. Yeah, lots of people are running from their masters these days. Get out of here. I don't owe you anything. And David's like, is that right? And David's just about to reach for his sword and teach this guy a lesson when his wife comes running out and says, you need to understand something about my husband. His name is stupid. I've told you this before. It was not that this guy was born, and then at the naming ceremony, the father and the mother looked down lovingly and said, we shall call him stupid. No, that's just what everybody else called him. Everybody in town said, that guy's an idiot. That became his name, because that's what he was all about. So the name of Jesus, the name Yahshua, is what Jesus is all about. What is Jesus all about? Taking back his creation from Satan, redeeming people, turning them into disciples who make disciples. That's what Jesus is all about. And so if you're baptized into the name, that means you're baptized into that purpose, which means if you've been baptized in that, that's what you should be all about. Taking back creation from Satan irritates me. Some people, we'll get to here in about a month or so, I'm going to preach on the end times and make a lot of you mad. And one of the things that irritates me about people's view of the end times is this idea that we're all going to go to heaven and God's just going to light this universe up and say heck with it. You really think God's going to surrender what he created and called good to Satan? No. (laughs) No. He will not. I have and I'll get to that. It's called the new heavens and the new earth. And so, he's not going to give that up. And Jesus is not going to give any of us up without a fight. It's not going to happen. 
And that's what Jesus is all about. So if you're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit, that means you were baptized into that mission, that goal. Now, that is why baptism should be, and in the New Testament always is, in public. Now, I have done baptisms for people like, you know, I just can't do it. I can't get up in front of a bunch of people. It's all right, it's just my family. And I'm like, uh, okay, but, and I tell them this, there is a reason why it was always done in public. You think about it. Where were they baptized? There are no church buildings. The pools at the temple were all out in the open. Anybody could walk by and see. Most of the time it was in a river or a creek or a pond or whatever. And guess where if you lived in the Roman Empire in the first century, guess where you wanted to live by? Water. Water. There's no, you know, unless you're a wealthy Roman, you don't have running water. The Romans had aqueducts in some cities, but they ran into the rich part of town. So you wanted to be near water because what do you need? Water. And so the population is all around water. And so when they baptized people, when Paul would take somebody and baptize somebody, or Peter would baptize somebody, or whatever, guess where they did it? In front of the entire town. The whole town. You had to stand up in public and say, I have faith in Jesus Christ. It was a public declaration. That's important. It's important for a number of reasons. And it was always in water by immersion. Why? Why water? Why immersion? If you go to the book of Revelation and you read through, first of all, the first three chapters are basically letters to seven churches. And then from four into 19 and 20, man, you've just got bloodbath after bloodbath and judgment after judgment. And then you get this odd passage about God coming to dwell with people on earth. And it says this weird thing. The sea was no more. Now, why would that be? Is God against water? In the new heavens and the new earth, will there be no oceans? No, it's not what it means. Here's the deal. If you were living in the Roman Empire at this time, time of Acts, time of Christ, do you know the one mode of transportation you did not take unless you were desperate? A boat. It was not uncommon for a boat to sail away from Joppa or Athens or Rome and never to be seen again. They did not understand the weather, meteorology. They had no understanding of this. They had very little understanding of riptides or what sharks were or any of this stuff. Not many people went swimming in the ancient world because they knew that that's the quickest way to disappear. So they began to see water as what? The symbol of chaos and evil and death 
Jewish symbolism, if you read through Jewish books of the first couple hundred years of, of, you know, the A.D., everywhere they're talking about water as chaos and death. So, why go into the water? What does it symbolize? It symbolizes your death. Dying to yourself and rising as a servant of Jesus Christ. That's the point. And that's why we think it's so important for you to stand up and say, in front of a group, heck, now in front of, on YouTube, and stand up there and say, I have faith in Jesus Christ. And submit to baptism. Submit to it. Just as Christ submitted to the cross and his own death, you don't dunk yourself. Someone else does it for you. And you go into the chaos that is evil and death, and you come out the other side as a dedicated servant of Jesus Christ, all about his name, all about his mission. Does that make sense? That's why we have baptism. That's why it should always be done in public. That's why it should always be done by immersion. That's why it should always be done in a submissive mode. So you're baptized into the name of Jesus Christ. Now, there's a second aspect to that I'll get to here in a second. But I do want to address one thing. Um, there are, there's a dwindling number of them, but there are still people out there, especially in the independent Christian church and churches of Christ, who believe that baptism is necessary for salvation. I reject that. Now, there are some scholars who even hold that view, like Jack Cottrell and Everett Ferguson. Everett was one of my professors at Abilene Christian. Everett's a brilliant, brilliant man. He really is. His stuff is well worth reading. And it's not like he hadn't done his research. I'll give the boy that. His book on baptism is over 900 pages long. So he knows his stuff. But here's the problem. Now, one of the websites, because there's a lot of junk in the web, one of the websites I've encouraged you to go to, especially when you have questions about the Bible or apologetics or so forth, is gotquestions.org. Gotquestions.org is a website run by dedicated Christian apologists, and they do a very good job. You go to that website, and basically all there is is there's just this line there, and you type in a question, and boom, all these short articles. They're short. Like, you print it out, it'd be less than a page. Answering your questions with Scripture. And here's what they said. When you, when you type this in, do you need to be baptized to be saved? Here's got question response. Requiring anything in addition to faith in Jesus Christ for salvation is a works-based salvation. To add anything to the gospel is to say that Jesus' death on the cross was not sufficient to purchase our salvation. To say that baptism is necessary for salvation is to say we must add our own good works and obedience to Christ's death in order to make it sufficient for salvation. Jesus' death alone paid for our sins. Romans 5.8, 2 Corinthians 5.21. Jesus' payment for our sins is appropriated to our account by faith alone. John 3.16, Acts 16.31, Ephesians 2.8-9. 
Therefore, baptism is an important step of obedience after salvation, but cannot be a requirement for salvation. Make sense? Moreover, you got problems. If you take that line that you, you must be baptized to be saved, you got problems. If you look at 1 Corinthians 1, 14 through 17, this is what Paul writes. I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. For now, no one can say that they were baptized in my name. Oh, yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus, but I don't remember baptizing anyone else. For Christ did not send, notice this, send me to baptize. Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the good news, and not with clever speech, for fear that the cross of Christ would lose its power. So if baptism is necessary for salvation, Paul is stating that he wished they weren't saved. You think Paul would ever say that about anybody? Moreover, if you go to 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8. Notice what Paul says here. He says, well, let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. It is this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you, unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. I passed on to you what was most important and what had been passed on to me, Christ died for our sins, just as the Scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the Scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time. Most of them are still alive. That's Paul's way of saying, check it out if you want to. Though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. What does he say is of first importance? Hear the gospel, know the gospel. Does he mention baptism there anywhere? Nope. If it was requirement for salvation, don't you think Paul would think that was important enough to stick in there? I think so. I think so. So if you're saved... By faith in Christ and not by being baptized, why be baptized? Well, what did Jesus state in John 14, 15? That if you loved him, you would obey his commands. Is baptism a command? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. We love him through the aid of the Holy Spirit, which only comes at salvation. And the Holy Spirit is what helps us, what convicts us, what pushes us to obey Jesus Christ. But we must be baptized. Every believer should be baptized by immersion, submitting, publicly proclaiming their faith in Jesus Christ. That public proclamation is very, very powerful. Public proclamations, as is psychology has even shown, are powerful. The majority of people, if they make a public declaration, will stick to it. If, and this is important, and this is why, we, when we baptize folks, we typically do is we give them one of these, 
a little pamphlet on believer's baptism, and if you want one to share with people, whatever, they're out there. They've got a bunch of them out there. You can take one or two with you. That's fine. If you ever lead someone to Christ and want to talk to them about baptism, you can use this. Public declarations are powerful. When I worked in politics many, 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 many years ago now, I was watching the news this morning. I worked on Capitol Hill from 95 to 97, and they were talking about a Netflix series aimed at the nostalgia of the 90s. And I was like, that was yesterday. What do you mean nostalgia? But when I worked on Capitol Hill in the 90s, one of the areas, what happens is if you work for a congressman, they have what's called legislative aides. There were four of us. And they divvy up the issues that you're responsible so you get daily briefings, and you, you type up the briefings, and you sit down with the congressperson, and you go through what's going on, all other kind of stuff. And one of the areas that I was charged with was intelligence and foreign affairs. And so I'd get these little briefings and, you know, about what was going on. And one of the things that fascinated me, because it kept coming up, was Israel has its own version of the CIA. Israel has its own um, service called the Mossad. Here's what you need to know about the Mossad. God bless the USA. God bless the CIA. But I'm here to tell you, you don't want to mess with the Mossad. The Mossad may be the most, the deadliest secret society out there, and they work solely for the survival of Israel. They take the best of the best. In fact, if you're an Israeli, if you grew up in Israel, if you were a citizen of Israel, you have to serve in the military for two years, men and women. Again, I'm not working for AAA, but if you go with us to Israel, one of the things you will see, especially if you wander into Jerusalem proper, not the touristy area, but you go down where the citizens hang out, on every single corner you will see two soldiers holding Uzis. And they stop any Arab they see and frisk them. Now you can argue the merits of that, but one of the reasons they do that is I went down, my brother and I went down to old Jerusalem one night. We were on a holy quest. We were trying to see if there was a place playing March Madness. And so we go into old Jerusalem and one of the first things we see when we cross a corner is a cafe burnt to a crisp by a suicide bomb. Now, as I said, that doesn't happen in the touristy areas, but in the Jewish areas, it does. And that's why they do it. And the Mossad's entire reason for existence is to squash any threat to the nation of Israel. And after they're done with their training, they fly them by helicopter to Masada. Some of you have been there. It was Herod's fortress. It's an impressive place. You can hike up or you can take the tram up. It's a long hike. You can still see where the Romans were encamped when they encircled the place because they were there for a long time. When Israel revolted against Rome in 66, they got squashed pretty quick. The last remaining rebels holed up in Masada, and they were there for a long time. It took the Romans over a year to build a ramp up to the top to break through the walls. And when they got up there, what they found was every Jew had, had died. They had committed suicide. They said they would rather die than serve under a foreign rule. They fly the Mossad to that kingdom. 
that old fortress of Herod's, and they take a blood oath. They raise their hands and they proclaim before their generals and the prime minister, Masada shall never fall again. Their way of saying Israel shall never fall again. They basically commit that they would rather die a gruesome death than give up one inch of soil of Israel to a foreign invader. That's a public declaration. And you never hear about a traitor in the Messiah. Public declarations are powerful. But what's sad for me is some Secret Service type agents, spies, military guys will stand on top of an old fortress and proclaim that they would rather die than let their nation fall. And yet Christians will come out of that water saying they proclaim faith in Jesus Christ. And not only will they not die, they won't live for Christ. The nation of Israel is temporary. The kingdom of God is forever. You need to understand your baptism. You need to remember your baptism. What you publicly declared before God and before all of us. That you believe in and you will serve Jesus Christ. You need to remember that. And here's the last point. The other reason why it's so important to be baptized in front of the entire church is not just your public declaration before people of your faith and how you will live as a disciple, how in the name of Jesus Christ that is what you are dedicated to, that is what you, how you will live. It's also so we can receive you as a brother and sister in Christ. When we baptize somebody over here, you baptize somebody that, that, that you brought to faith, every single one of you, you clap, you cheer, we sing, and that's great, but you need to remember that person's name and face because they are now your eternal family. When I was reading about stories this past couple weeks about baptism, I read this. A young woman grew up in a church in Connecticut. 16, 17, she comes to faith in Christ. One of the elders of the church baptizes her. They have a tradition in that church. It's smaller than ours. They ate together after every service. And they always introduce the person who had just been baptized as a new member of the family. This young woman, a couple years later, went off to school in Colorado. She slipped. She sinned. She got addicted to drugs. She ended up homeless on the streets of Denver. She managed to beg enough change to call her father in Connecticut say, Daddy, I'm homeless. I've let you down. I want to come home. I need help. 
And her father was heartbroken because her mother died and he had suffered a stroke and he was not able to go get her. He somehow managed to communicate what was going on to the elder who baptized her, hoping that he might know somebody out there or he might just pray for her. He fell asleep praying for his daughter. The next day when he woke up, his daughter was standing in front of him at his bedside, and there was the elder. As soon as he got in the message, he booked a flight to Denver. He picked that girl up. He brought her home. The man, amazed, said, why would you do that? He said, we're family. What else would I do? That elder understood and remembered his baptism. Understand and remember your baptism. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son taught us, who saved us, and who now rightfully commands us to follow him even unto death. May anyone watching this or listening to this who has come to faith but not been baptized commit to submitting to it. When they come out of that waters, may they understand what really happened. May they dedicate themselves with the help of your Holy Spirit and your word and this church family to serving you as best they possibly can by spreading the gospel, by discipling others, and by caring for one another. We thank you, Lord, for baptism, the symbol of your death and resurrection on our behalf. We thank you, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. God go with you. And hey, Kentucky's 6-0, but they play Georgia next week, so that's not going to last. But anyway, I'm going to enjoy the week as it does. So God bless you. See you next time. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.